chapter 1, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 1, and uh, <clears throat> in verse <clears throat> 26, uh, we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion <clears throat> over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. <clears throat> so for the few minutes that we have together this morning, I want us to consider uh, the teaching of Holy Scripture about uh, man being made in the image of God. Uh, why is this such an important um, truth? Uh, what implications should it have uh, for us in our everyday lives? So <clears throat> here is one of the passages that declares to us <clears throat> that in distinction from all of the other creatures that God made during that uh, week of creation, the first week uh, in time, um, the crown of God's creation was making uh, Adam the first man from the dust of the earth, as we read in Genesis chapter 2, God formed man of the dust from the breath, uh, from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. Um, the Lord placed the man there in the garden uh, to till it, to keep it as a husbandman, and then <clears throat> he said it was not good for the man to be alone. Uh, he put Adam to sleep. He formed Eve from Adam's side and then woke Adam up and performed the first marriage. Over in Genesis chapter 9, uh, <clears throat> we have another passage uh, that emphasizes the uniqueness of uh, man in distinction from all of the other creatures. Uh, in <clears throat> Genesis chapter 9, uh, verse 5, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning from every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. 
And so here's another passage that emphasizes the fact that life is so special, unique, that God instituted the death penalty, uh, that uh, after due process, um, a, a person who uh, premeditating um, kills his fellow man, uh, or if a beast kills a person, that beast must be put to death, uh, that man uh, who is guilty uh, ought to be put to death. Why? For God made man in his own image. Psalm 8 is another passage um, that declares to us that man is unique, uh, that he's not like the other creatures. Uh, in verse 4, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beast of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Uh, <clears throat> on, over in the New Testament, we see uh, this same truth uh, being uh, declared. Uh, the teaching of the uniqueness of man, of course, is throughout Holy Scripture, but we're just looking at a few passages that use this explicit terminology. James chapter 3, God says that we ought to be careful the way we talk, uh, the way we use our tongues uh, one to another, that it is uh, not proper uh, for us to be speaking um, words of blessing and then turn around and with the same tongue uh, curse those uh, who are made in the likeness of God. And you see that in this context of God dealing with the tongue in James chapter 3 down in verse 9, talking about the tongue. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Another passage in the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Here we have in a passage of Scripture that describes putting off the old man, um, the remnants of the old man that still remain, and to put on uh, the life that we have and are now in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we see in Ephesians chapter 4, down in verse 22, 
to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so here we have a passage that describes the Christian is someone who is growing more and more to be uh, restored, to uh, clearly reflect uh, the likeness of God in terms of his moral character. Um, we are made to reflect that character. We are made in the image of God. That image has been marred. It's been broken. Uh, it still exists in the life of someone who is not a Christian, uh, but uh, it, it's like a broken mirror. Uh, you can still see uh, some of the uh, reflections uh, but they are distorted now, uh, just like a mirror when it uh, has cracks all in it. You can still kind of kind of see, uh, but uh, the the image is distorted, and that's um, what this passage uh, is describing now. God restoring us in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to reflect the image of God. The parallel passage over in Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> we see in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Um, we are those who bear the reflection of God's character. And we see in verse 12 of this passage, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Uh, all of those uh, are uh, perfections of Almighty God. And then uh, lastly, uh, there are other passages we could look at, but one more. Uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And here in th this passage where God declares to us the amazing uh, work that God has done from eternity past, stretching to eternity future, uh, to set his love upon us. Uh, we read... In verse 29 of Romans chapter 8, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so, uh, Scripture uh, from generation uh, Genesis on through Holy Scripture declares to us uh, that uh, man is made in the image of God. And being in the image of God, we are distinct and unique from all of the other 
preachers. <coughs> in Matthew chapter 10, the Lord Jesus uh, gave instructions to um, the twelve as he is sending them out to preach the gospel. And in that context, he tells them in verse 16, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Um, he tells them to beware. Um, and so in verse 26, speaking about those that they would uh, find opposing them, he says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And this is not a put-down to sparrows. Um, God cares for the sparrows. God feeds the creatures that he has made. Uh, one of the themes that we see uh, in, in Scripture is uh, how all of creation, uh, God is caring uh, for his, his creatures. And so when the Lord Jesus says, you are worth more than many sparrows, uh, he is highlighting again now this unique position uh, that mankind has. That because we are different from all of the other creatures, um, God cares for the sparrows, but in God's economy, uh, in his sight, we are worth more than many sparrows. Well, um, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? And <clears throat> there are three uh, main categories that we're going to look at very quickly. We're just kind of flying over it. Mm, 38,000 feet. I almost said 40, but we'll, we'll We'll go down a little lower so you can see a little bit of uh, the details. First of all, uh, to bear the image of God uh, means that we had the capacity and the privilege of, of having unique fellowship with God and with our fellow man. Um, we see in a number of passages of Scripture, uh, the one that we read first in Genesis uh, chapter 1, if you'll turn back in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. And the God of the Bible indeed is an amazing God. 
Uh, he, he is an amazing person. There is no one else like him in the universe. Uh, the one true living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here we see the oneness of God and the plurality uh, of, of the persons of the Godhead. That the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have had fellowship with each other uh, from all eternity. Now that's a mind uh, uh, blower. Uh, it makes our gray matter uh, uh, quiver and shake. Um, it's uh, hard for us to understand and, and uh, to relate to that because everything else uh, that we know has a beginning, uh, has an end, it wears out. But the eternal God uh, reveals himself uh, here. God. Let us make man in our image. Um, we could go over uh, to Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, in the throne room, Isaiah hears the voice of God. Um, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Uh, one and yet three. Um, we uh, see just a glimpse, even in the Old Testament, uh, in Isaiah chapter 61, uh, Messiah, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Uh, here, Messiah is speaking. And he talks about the Lord God and the Spirit. And so here's a reference. Here's God the Son speaking, uh, the, uh, talking about the Father, anointing him uh, with the Holy Spirit. And in the New Testament, we have a couple of passages that um, just give us a little glimpse of this fellowship of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. For example, Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, here we have a reference to the work of redemption, to the blood uh, of, of Christ described here as the blood of the eternal covenant. Uh, that from eternity past, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit made a plan to redeem a people, uh, his sheep, his lost lambs, uh, in uh, giving his son uh, to purchase with his own blood. Uh, Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, and so forth. In the Gospel of John, uh, we see uh, the Lord Jesus describing and talking about the fellowship uh, that he has enjoyed with the Father. 
uh, in the high priestly prayer as it is referred to in John chapter 17. Uh, just look at a couple of verses in this prayer. In John chapter 17, in verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And so here we see the uh, delight, the fellowship. Um, <clears throat> on over towards the end of this prayer, in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, talking about those who believe in him, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. <clears throat> um, here is, is just a little glimpse of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, having fellowship, they delight, uh, they love each other as the one true living God. And God made us in his image, and that means we have the capacity in a unique sense uh, to have fellowship, friendship, first and foremost with God himself, uh, now because of Adam's rebellion, that fellowship has been broken and the last Adam has come and in the Lord Jesus Christ that fellowship, that friendship is restored. And so what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit had sweet, delightful, loving fellowship with each other from eternity past as the one true living God. And God made us in his image. And so first and foremost, it means that we have a unique capacity to have friendship with God, to talk with him, to walk with him, uh, to know his presence. And now in the Lord Jesus, that is restored. Uh, we uh, could just go through the scriptures and look at example after example of God coming uh, to save and then have fellowship uh, with his people as individuals as well as his people uh, as a whole. The second thing that we see in Holy Scripture um, God tells us that to bear the image of God means that the moral character of God we bear to a certain extent. Uh, now, we will not uh, reflect the character of God perfectly until the Lord takes us home to glory. Uh, but even now, uh, we reflect the, the glory of God, and he's polishing us, if you will, uh, growing us more and more uh, to bear his image. We looked at Romans chapter 8, verse 29. It is the plan of God that we be conformed to the image 
of his son. Uh, what does that mean? Well, it means uh, what we saw in that passage in Ephesians chapter 4 and Colossians chapter 3, uh, that the moral character of God is stamped upon us, and God the Holy Spirit in the Lord Jesus Christ saving us is changing us more and more uh, to put off the remnants of the old self. Uh, turn back to Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> and in verse 1 we see, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And I will never forget when uh, we had little bitty children, we had been on a trip, uh, we uh, had rolled back into town, uh, it was Saturday evening, uh, the children were um, eager to get out of the car. And we needed to stop by and get some milk and some other necessities uh, before the Lord's Day. And so uh, we rolled in with our little uh, Dotson station wagon. And uh, it was cramped quarters. And so uh, my bride ran into the grocery store to get the milk, and I was left to watch the herd. And so we decided the best way to keep the troops from uh, causing a, a riot would be to start singing. And it was a hot day. We rolled the windows down, and uh, we were singing Scripture songs. And one of the Scripture songs that we sang was Colossians chapter 3. Um, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And about that time, a pickup truck pulled up beside us. And it was an elderly couple. Um, this gentleman was a farmer. He had bibbed overalls on, um, and he and his wife had come to town. And they pulled up right beside our station wagon. And as soon as he turned the engine off, their windows were down too, he hears a bunch of little kids sing the chorus. And he hadn't heard the first part of the song. And yeah, I didn't really think anything about it, but the chorus said, Ye are dead, ye are dead, ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And about the time he heard all these little children singing, Ye are dead, his eyes just got great big, and he, he wondered, What in the world have I pulled up next to? But what a glorious truth it was. And when we, he heard us singing about the rest of the chorus, that 
we are dead to sin and now alive to God in Christ. Big smile broke out on his face. I'm sure he was relieved that he had not pulled up next to a a carload of terrorists, uh, that he wasn't going uh, to die, uh, but that here were people who were singing about the great work of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice he goes on now in Colossians 3 describing how that a Christian is someone who is being changed more to reflect the moral character of God. Uh, We see in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not (coughs) lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. And so here we see now this theme of in the Lord Jesus Christ, God is renewing us to be uh, in this particular example he uses, men and women who speak the truth uh, because God is a God of truth. And whenever I speak a lie, I I am attacking the very character of God. Uh, When I break the ninth commandment, I am shaking my fist in the face of God Almighty, telling God that I hate who he is. I hate his character. I hate that he is a God of truth. And of course, uh, Satan is a liar and the father of lies. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are being renewed to bear now his character. Uh, So what does it mean to bear the image of God? Fellowship with God, fellowship with one another. Uh, bearing the image of God. And then the third thing, and this is not exhaustive. Remember, we're at 38,000 feet. Uh, The third thing is that we have work to do. God created the world, and he made us in his image. Now, uh, uh, the Hebrew word bara, where uh, God created, he spoke out of nothing, things into being. We can't do that. Uh, But God did take those things that he spoke into existence out of nothing, and he formed and fashioned, and over the six days of creation, the very first thing, speaking uh, matter into existence, but then he took and formed and fashioned that matter. Uh, into all of the intricacy 
uh, uh, the vastness of space down to the subatomic level of all of uh, life exists because of God's mighty work as the creator and the sustainer of heaven and earth. And God made us in his image. Uh, we use the term, that is a creative person. <laughs> uh, well, in a very real sense, that is true. That God made us in his image to be creative. To take the, the resources that God made and to develop them. Uh, to use them for the glory of God and the good, the benefit of our fellow man. Exercising dominion, work. But it's not just work in the sense that, you know, it's a drag. You get up, you go to work, and you come home, you punch the clock. That's it. No, a Christian uh, views uh, 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 that God has gifted us uniquely, each person. And you remember we looked um, when we were going through the book of uh, Thessalonians, our study together earlier, we looked at Exodus chapter 36. And if you'll turn there with me, uh, here we see uh, these two men, these craftsmen, these skilled artisans, uh, who were commissioned uh, to uh, work on the tabernacle, the furniture, the trappings. Uh, and, and so we read in Exodus 36, verse 1, Bezaliel and Oholib, and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of, of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. Now their creativity was to be harnessed and guided by the revealed will of God. They weren't free to just do their uh, own thing in the building of the tabernacle. Uh, God had given explicit instructions and you remember had taken Moses up on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights and given him a tour of the throne room of heaven and that the tabernacle was just uh, a, a replica uh, of what he saw in the throne room and that uh, Bezaliel and Aholiab, um but not just them, uh, every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work. Um, God is the one who gifts all of us uniquely uh, with the ability to do certain things, harnessing the potential of God's creation. And that's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. And we see that in Genesis chapter 1. In the very passage that talks about Man being made in the image of God, <coughs> we see in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion. And so in the very context of God revealing to us 
uh, our origins. Where, where did mankind come from? Well, on the sixth day of creation, the crown of God's creation was God made male and female after his image. And God placed Adam and Eve and commissioned Adam and Eve and all of their descendants to exercise dominion. And that's part of what it means to bear the image of God. Well, the last thing we want to look at in the seven minutes that we have left, and we're going to have to go up to 45,000 feet because uh, we're going to run out of, of time. What difference does it make? Uh, is it important for us to understand and for us to teach our children and grandchildren that we are not products of chance? We are not a glorified slime uh, that has crawled out of the primordial pit uh, and, and developed uh, and uh, become more and more uh, sophisticated amoebas. Um, what difference does it make if we view mankind that way or if we view mankind as God, who created us, says we are? And, of course, it makes all the difference in the world. Uh, why are we living in a culture where it's like living in a jungle? Well, it's because for generations now, people have been taught that they are really nothing but an animal. And, therefore, why should we be surprised that people act like unrestrained animals? just giving themselves to their passions, giving themselves uh, to anger, giving themselves, acting like a wild beast with no restraint for the moment or thinking of the consequences. It is a direct result of living in a culture where the people as a whole have rejected this biblical view that man is made in the image of God. I wish we had time to look in detail, and maybe the next time I have opportunity to pinch hit uh, for Pastor Sam, uh, we'll spend more time. But I've got six things that I want you to just think about, and uh, <clears throat> we could look at this in greater detail. Uh, but the Lord tells us, for example, in James chapter 1, this is pure and undefiled religion to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Uh, to believe this truth that man is made in the image of God has profound implications for how we treat those who are weak and helpless in our midst. Uh, the euthanasia movement uh, that has taken hold so in Canada and tragically is beginning to grow in certain states uh, in our country uh, where assisted suicide and uh, uh, caring for those uh, who are in distress uh, is put in the guise that this would really be the loving thing to do uh, to help um, 
a, a person uh, in their life is a direct result of this evolutionary view and a denial of this truth that man is made in the image of God. And so widows and orphans, secondly, uh, we have uh, uh, how we care uh, for uh, the unborn and the elderly. Uh, Life uh, begins at conception. And the Bible is very clear and plain. Um, Over in the book of Job, uh, chapter 3, verse 3, Job traces his troubles as a man. Um, In his agony, he says, I've had trouble all my life. And when did my trouble begin? Job says, the night in which it was said, a man-child is conceived. Uh, We could go over to the book of Exodus chapter 21, and it gives instruction in verses 22 through 24 uh, that if two men are fighting together and there is a pregnant lady in their midst and one of them accidentally uh, hits her and either she and or the baby is harmed, Uh, that whatever uh, uh, happened to her or the baby, uh, that justice is to be carried out. Uh, That if the baby dies, then that man who uh, did that uh, is worthy of the death penalty. This view uh, that life is sacred and a blessing from Almighty God and ought to be cared for and protected did not come from an evolutionary view of uh, the origins of mankind. Uh, The whole history of hospitals is something that arose out of Western civilization, Christian civilization, where People view other people as made in the image of God. The Lord Jesus told a parable that we refer to as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, And and that parable, uh, there was a a young man who came and said, uh, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus, in that context, said, your fellow man is your neighbor. Uh, Even if they're not Christians, we treat the people around us with dignity and respect. Uh, Life is sacred because human beings bear the image of God. Um, We mentioned... uh, the elderly, but in First Timothy chapter 5. Um, why do we care for those uh, who have gotten to a stage of life where they can't care for themselves? Um, it, it is because uh, we bear the image of God. Uh, and even though that person can't care for themselves, necessarily anymore. Um, 
those uh, children and grandchildren have the responsibility to uh, demonstrate uh, godliness. And if they can't or won't, then it is the church's responsibility uh, to care for those uh, who are in need. We also see um, the Lord <clears throat> talking about uh, the care for the poor. Um, over in the book of Proverbs, uh, there are a couple of verses, really interesting. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 5, Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. Uh, whoever mistreats someone who uh, is, is a, a poor person, they don't have any clout in society. Uh, but there is a God who made them, and they bear the image of God. Um, over in uh, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 2, the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. You see this implication that we are created uh, by Almighty God has tremendous ramifications. Uh, the way we treat um, people uh, with their wages. Um, God says he sees. And that if someone takes advantage, um, the book of James talks about uh, in chapter 5, uh, that those uh, who are wealthy, that if they withhold um, the wage, uh, God sees, and he, he's going to call uh, them to account. And, and then um, we mentioned this whole thing of uh, the death penalty and the duty of the civil magistrate uh, to be a keeping order in society um, so that the church and the family can function openly and freely uh, to minister the gospel. The civil magistrate ministers temporal justice, uh, protecting judicially innocent life so that uh, families and the church uh, can do what God has called us to do, uh, to minister the gospel. The church is, is to equip God's people uh, to live life for the glory of God. And, and the family, the most basic institution uh, that God created, the first institution uh, that God created, um, upon which the church and the state depend. You can't have strong churches without strong families. You can't have a strong society. You can't have a strong civil government without strong families. Uh, well, if you deny man made in the image of God, and the recent Supreme Court ruling, Obergefell, uh, uh, that rejected uh, a biblical view of the family is an attack uh, on this truth that God's the creator and man is made in the image of God. So, it's a big deal. And what a blessing it is that we've been made in the image of God. And he has restored us in Christ Jesus uh, to have fellowship with God 
and to be about our Father's business. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is so rich. And we're excited, Lord, to learn of you and to grow up in you, Lord Jesus. We delight to uh, have fellowship with you and with one another uh, in you, Lord Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Uh, We rejoice that you are molding and making us more and more into the image of Christ. And Lord, we rejoice to be exercising dominion. Father, bless now as we fellowship together and prepare our hearts to worship. In Jesus we pray, amen.